Good morning, church. How good it is to be with you. See, when you're gone for a couple of weeks, you forget the little things. I don't know that I share your clapping enthusiasm about being back from vacation. But let me say this. It is so good to be with you this morning. It's so good to be among you, to share in this series, in this time, and to be doing this good work. Uh, most of you know I'm a part of Fiddler on the Roof right now, and uh, I took a couple of weeks off. I didn't go anywhere. Camille traveled, but I stayed home. I stayed uh, to kind of protect my body and my spirits during our tech week in preparation for that show, and then kind of a, a week of recovery last week or the week before. Last Sunday was kind of an experiment. I was with Aubrey Hansen uh, playing guitar in this worship to see how it might go to be able to be in church and then go do a matinee. And today we're, we're giving it the old college try of preaching at two services and then getting to go and be Tebya. But in the midst of that, well, you're very kind, thank you. <clears throat> Just know that after next Sunday's worship, I'm not gonna be this furry again for a long, long time. <laughs> it's too hot in this valley, cutting it all off. With that said, I, I just have to express my gratitude to Camille and to Pastor Nicole for helping to carry the load through this series and this time uh, in my life as we try something new, as we reach out to our community, and as we share God's story in a unique way with that show. Uh, it was good to be away, but it is so good to be back and to be celebrating with you. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Holy One, we come before you in this time. We won't be vague about our hopes. We want you to show up, oh God, to be with us, to be in us, to help us to see you more clearly, to help us to see our neighbors more directly, to help us to serve more faithfully. Meet us here in this time, oh God, so that we all might be able to say that through the work of proclamation, through seeking you and your word, and through being equipped to serve, that well, we might be able to say that your work here has been done. The words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, that they were found to be acceptable to you. For you are our strength and the source of our salvation. Amen. So this is the final of the Come to the Table series. We've been talking about the imagery of the table and an opportunity to remember that we celebrated Jesus who eats with. In the Gospel of Luke, much of the ministry of Christ happens at, around, or engaging food in some way. He would have been a great Methodist because we just finished our Come to the Table dinner series and celebrating meals together and hearing from voices. It is a chance for us to remember that in the Gospel of Luke, the way the Jesus story is told is of a Jesus who eats with, eats with sinners, eats with the broken, eats with the unexpected, feeds thousands upon thousands in a providential way, who equips the disciples in the same holy meal that we will share in today. And today we look at a Jesus who will celebrate with us. We talked about as the themes on our wall share a Jesus who welcomes, a Jesus who at meals offers forgiveness, a Jesus who provides in rich and powerful ways and a Jesus who serves, but serves with the invitation that we might become servants ourselves. We have used the image of the table throughout this series, both on our wall and in the art that we've chosen, because it's a reminder to us that the kingdom of God happens in the four feet of a table's width when we sit down together. 
for meals, for fellowship, for the work of building the kingdom. It is there that God shows up. The Gospel of Luke makes that clear. In the Fiddler on the Roof, there is table fellowship. Perhaps one of the most powerful moments of the show for me is the Sabbath prayer, where Tevye's family and the families of the community gather around their Shabbat meal, their Friday night meal, and they take candles and they offer prayer and a blessing. And the blessing that takes place around that table is one of hope for the future for their families. Gold and Tevia sing together about their longings and their hope for their daughters, that God would strengthen and equip them, that their names would be a blessing, that they would be the kind of people that Tevia and Golda would hope that they would be. I take a tender moment during that song where the five daughters who are on stage, I go by and touch each on the top of their head as a part of that blessing time. I get to sing about my hopes that they would be good mothers and wives and that God would always protect them. Why? Because when we gather at the table, God shows up and is present to us in the now and in the now to come. That's our common work together. Today's story is an Easter one. It's a resurrection story. It is what we commonly call the walk to Emmaus story. Two disciples are journeying with Jesus just as you see it on the screen. And in this resurrection, we take the imagery of new life and new opportunity and the journey that they will take, which is a powerful metaphor in the life of the church. What we realize is that in the meal that these three will share, we see a Jesus who celebrates the work of God in their midst and our potential in the resurrection. Let's take a look at our text from the Gospel of Luke, shall we? While we have the words on the screen, what's just off the top, it's there, I promise, you just can't see it, is a conversation that Jesus has with two of the disciples. He asks them, what are you so worked up about? What are you so sad about? And they say, are you the only one who hasn't heard about Jesus of Nazareth and what happened this last week in Jerusalem? By just Friday, he was put to death by the hands of the authorities. And some have claimed that he has been resurrected and we have seen him. So Jesus' lesson for them and for us begins in this way. He said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah, the Christ, have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them all that was said in the scriptures regarding himself. What a sermon to have been a part of. As they approached the village to which they were going, Emmaus by name, Jesus continued on as if he were going further than that. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and he began to give it to them. And then, Luke says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment of recognition in this resurrection mystery and magic that happens, he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their question is our own. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this story, commonly known as the walk to Emmaus, has an expression in our common community already. 
There are pilgrims from this church who participated in a spiritual formation program over the course of a long weekend where you hear from both clergy and laity about Christ's work missionally in your lives and what you might be called and equipped to do. I mention that only to say this, is that this weekend, the women's flight is going on down at the Church of the Ascension in Thousand Oaks. And one of our lay women, Sharon Eastman, serves there faithfully uh, as a lay partner in that journey. But that is an opportunity for us to take this story and to bring it into the present, to say, if we were but to journey with Christ for a bit, to sit down at the table, what would we come to know? What would we come to see? Well, the simple truth is, is that this story starts in a bit of crisis. As they're leaving Jerusalem to walk to Emmaus, Jesus stumbles upon them. These two disciples who were all aflutter about what was going on in Jerusalem over the course of the last three days. They inevitably come to that experience shouldering a lot of grief and a whole bunch of questions. No doubt they were a little angry, a little disappointed. They're now leaving the big city to head to this place, Emmaus. And Jesus walks a while with them. And in the midst of that journey, he asks a simple question. What what are you talking about? What's going on? And sometimes in grief, we pounce on people when they ask stupid questions. Because these disciples turn on Jesus immediately. Are you the only one who doesn't know about Jesus? Don't you know what went on this weekend? It would be a little bit like, a little bit like, being a Southern Californian who did not know that Taylor Swift was performing right now. (laughs) If you had not heard, if you had not seen, you don't even have to be on TikTok or social media, Taylor mania is everywhere. It's a bit like that. Are you the only one who doesn't know? And Jesus begins to pepper them with questions. And they have their basic facts straight, but what they are missing is a kernel of faith and a sense of what God was doing in their story. And so he begins to unpack for them what God was doing in his own life. From Moses to the prophets, he tells the story reading to them, probably actually reciting to them passages from Torah to help them understand what God was doing, what God had set up and anticipated in their common past, in their legacy, so that in their present moment, God's redemption work could be done. You see, coming to the table in our experience is a practice of worship. Our professor of New Testament, Greg Riley uh, at uh, CST, often talked about this passage as being an outline for the worship of the early Christian church. Notice, pay attention, if you will, to the fact that what happens here is that Jesus shares Scripture aloud, the Word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. He proclaims and expands on it, explaining to them what's going on in the story, and then they celebrate communion together. That that was the pattern of the early church. That the first Christians would gather and read passages from the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament or the Torah. And then when the New Testament began to emerge, when they received these good news proclamations called Gospels, the narratives of Jesus' life that fills in the gaps, not from what was happening in the past, but what had just happened in their recent history. When they begin to receive letters, epistles from Paul and other disciples and incorporate them in their worship life, they would read those, they would expand on those, and then they would share meal together. Coming to the table here in the Gospel of Luke is a practice of worship. 
And when you review the word of the Lord, when you share in Scripture together, you are shown where in the Scriptures God is present in your story. And then good preaching, proclamation, shows how you might live it out. Reading Scripture allows you to see where God is at work in your past and in your present. And the fellowship of the community allows you maybe to picture how you might live that out. And what ties that together for the disciples on the road to Emmaus, what will tie it together for our experience this morning is the blessing and the breaking of the bread to allow them to be transformed, to see God in a new way and to have, as if the art of this picture uh, allows for, a sense of wonder at the mystery of Jesus in our midst. Because the disciples, after their, their, their veil is cleared, after their eyes are opened, they say, we're not our hearts burning within us, as he explained the scriptures to us. It's a very Wesleyan idea. At Wesley's affirmation, after having been a priest for almost two decades, he was at Aldersgate and heard a sense of what God was communicating directly to him. And John Wesley said, I found my heart strangely warmed, changed, transformed. An affirmation from 2,000 years ago or 300 years ago that when Christ's story is present to you and you're shown where God is in Scripture, when you're shown how to live a life of faith, it is then that you ought to feel something and respond. Now, I have a hard time buying the idea beyond the mystery of resurrection. That they would listen to Jesus preach for the whole of this walk and not recognize him at all. This was their rabbi whom they had followed. And yes, their eyes were shielded by grief, but they're also shielded by the mystery of Jesus as revealing himself as he longs to and at his right time but they are walking and they say, our hearts were strangely warmed by his teaching, but it is only in the breaking of the bread that Jesus is truly seen. Where they're reminded, he said he was going to be broken for us. And that we ought to live lives of brokenness for others. When we do that, when we share in communion, and when we see in this story, we recognize a Jesus who celebrates with us we talk about celebrating the sacrament of communion that when we gather for communion it need not be this this somber recitation that somehow out of the mausoleum of faith we have dragged this thing that we have to do again and again communion is our chance to remember and to be enthused by the experience of God to have our hearts strangely warmed to know that a Christ who broke bread at the Last Supper is the same Jesus present with and through us in this story. When we celebrate communion, we do so in a symbolic way. Our Catholic brothers and sisters have a sense of the essence of the bread and the cup changing themselves into the very spirit and energy of Jesus itself. Ours is more symbolic. Do this in remembrance of me, we will say it is a symbol of that last meal broken bread, poured out cup, so that we know and we can be reminded that we are called to be broken bread and we are called to be poured out to the world. But it is a holy engagement because it tells the Trinitarian story 
of a Father God who creates us all, of an incarnate Jesus who is present at a point in history but is alive in each of us as the body of Christ, and a Spirit who continues to move in and through us. The thing about communion is, its focus is the future. Now, you might want to debate me at our coffee fellowship time. Actually, it's an ice cream fellowship time this morning because we're blessing backpacks, but we can debate over ice cream. That's fine. You might say, no, communion is about remembering, which means looking back to put together again, to remember the pieces of our faith, to reconstitute what Jesus had had done. But the simple truth is, is that the focus of communion is not on its past. We don't celebrate communion because the disciples took good pictures of their food and put them on Instagram so that we'd all be impressed. This is not a remembrance of what has happened. It is a future-oriented thing because the disciples then and Jesus in the walk to Emmaus and in our own experience of communion, we are fed and equipped for what comes next. To move into the future with hope and possibility. It's why it was so exciting for me to come back to our campus and to see all the hustle and bustle of the last couple of weeks. No doubt you've seen the fences. No doubt you've seen the transitions and changes in our campus life. We're in the second phase of two of our Growing Into Tomorrow campaign. And it's an opportunity for us to invest in the future need of our congregation and our hopes and possibilities. Now, Camille and I weren't here when this was all established, but we hold it in tender prayer and we're excited for what comes next. It is an opportunity for us to bear witness to a church that is not just stuck here, but is anticipating the work of the next 50 years. What else might we do with our space and its people so that we can continue to be the body of Christ in this place? And you might say, well, all right, I don't know a lot about this growing into tomorrow campaign or anything else going on. You'll hear a little bit more at the call to generosity, but I want to say this. The first phase of that was the development of our playground resources in that courtyard space. And if you don't think that that's been a manifestation of the kingdom of God, I invite you to pull aside either our Kids Zone directors or Kelly and say, how many more gray hairs do you have in the last year for all of the kids and families availing themselves of our space? God is on the move. The same will be true in the second phase of our common work together. Why? Because every time we've gathered for communion in the 50 plus year history of this church, it is anticipated and equipped us for the future that God is calling us into. We talk about this being strength for a journey. This isn't a refilling of the fuel that you have burnt since the last time you had communion. This is a topping off so that you can face the next step. It anticipates, anticipates the work of forgiveness. The work of kingdom building, the work of servants, the work of the church and the body of Christ that is to come. That's why we continue to do it. Because we're sent out. Jesus doesn't linger with the disciples in Emmaus. In fact, with the miraculous work of the resurrection, he disappears from their sight. They finally recognize him and he to go and appear to someone else who needs that sense of encouragement, hope, and possibility. They are not going to be stuck there. The whole point was to not say, oh, how good it is that the two of them get to see Jesus, spend time with Jesus, and have this resurrection experience. 
No, they were equipped with what they had been taught. They see Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And what the early church believed is that they were left with the opportunity to do the work. That's what comes next. To go and tell the story, to go and build the kingdom, to go and change the world. When we come to the table, we don't stay here. We are sent out. Now, the psalmist has this beautiful idea in the 23rd and 27th Psalm. King David writes this idea. In both places, it kind of rings out that the temple, that the house of the Lord where worship happens is the kind of place that the heart would long to dwell in forever. As if somehow coming to worship is a chance to, to step aside from, to shed, to, 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 to neglect, to put aside, to escape from. The warring and the crisis of our world, of our families, of our lives, and for this time, for this hour, we might have our hope, our life, and our love reinforced. How beautiful is your dwelling place, O Lord. I long to dwell in it forever. Jesus is in the business of sending us out. We're not meant to stay here. Not meant to stay here any more than our due. We are meant to go out and to be the church in the world. To be here for good and to be changers and builders of the kingdom of God. It's why in a moment's time, I'm so excited. Just after communion, we're going to do our backpack blessing for our kids and families that are headed back to school. It's a witness to us. Or, let me change that. It's a witness from us to them about the idea that God goes from this place. They come here for Sunday school, they come here for worship, they come here for VBS, they come here for Kids Zone, and hear about a God who lives and loves them deeply. And yet this simple little tag becomes the opportunity for them to carry out from this place a reminder that that same God goes with them out to the school and out into their lives. You might say, Pastor Andy, that's a whole lot more meaning and substance packed into a little, you know, um, uh, a little tag that we put on a backpack. But that is the gift of the church, taking what is simple, bread, juice, backpack tags, and through the work of the Spirit, turning it into mighty mystery and a proclamation of what God is doing in and through us to say we anticipate that there continues to be work to do. So celebrate with us a God who is always on the move. Let's pray.